0: I always hear something in the, in the praise time that takes me off my script. And uh, that, that song, I Have a Maker, reminds me of Scott, uh, another UCLA swimmer that entered UCLA as an unbeliever like Brit and me and became a believer either at UCLA or shortly after. That's our common thread. And Tracy was there. I met Tracy at UCLA, too, and she was already a believer. She was instrumental in that. Um, so that's, that's part of the story. And when I hear that song, I have a maker. Scott, who was a fellow swimmer of ours, uh, was on the praise team of a church in Southern California. And they cut a CD. And I think that was the first track. But whenever I hear that song, it reminds me of Scott. But great stories uh, of what God did among the swim team at UCLA for some reason. And I just marvel at it every time I think about it. Well, uh, okay, that's off the script. And now I'm back to the script. Um, This year, uh, I am celebrating with my class my 40th reunion from graduating from law school, University of Michigan Law School, 40 years as a lawyer And three years before that, learning how to be a lawyer. And on the first day of law school, they told us, we're going to teach you how to think like a lawyer. And they did. And I've been thinking like a lawyer for 43 years and speaking like a lawyer and writing like a lawyer. Uh, It's not always a good thing. In fact, I tell younger lawyers who I'm, I'm training, I tell them, don't fill your language with legalese. It bores people and they don't get it, so talk like a normal person. Um, but there are times when thinking like a lawyer is actually helpful. And uh, for example, the Bible is full of what we call legalese, lawyer talk. Um, there, and I, I, could, I could run off a whole long list of examples, but I'm going to give you a few from right around our passage today in a minute. But um, a few years ago, when we were, Tracy and I were living in Michigan, serving in a church there, we had a, a fellow there who was a shepherd, a m- modern day shepherd. He had, he had sheep. And he came and talked to us about sheep. Um, and, you know, there, there's a sheep theme all through the Bible, <laughs> Old Testament and New Testament. David, King David was a shepherd. Jesus, taught, last time I spoke here, one, last October, I talked about John chapter 10. Uh, which is a great sheep passage. Uh, Psalm 23, great sheep passage. Well, anyway, this shepherd came and talked to us about sheep and we learned so much that was useful to understanding these sheep passages in the Bible. And I thought to myself, you know, if a shepherd can do that, I wonder if a lawyer can do that. (laughs) Can I bring some of my experience and understanding thinking like a lawyer to some passage of scripture or multiple passages of scripture? And i I've decided I'm going to take a shot at it anyway. It uh, may not be as interesting as the sheep guy, um, but we're going we're to take a shot at it. And there is a great passage that we're going to look at today. I, I love it because I'm a lawyer, probably. Um, in Isaiah chapter 43, uh, before, before we look at the passage, um, let's see if I can do this right. Uh, first, turn it on, right, Britt? There we go. Um, just, you know, the, the, the whole Bible is filled with lawyer talk. And here's just a couple of examples from the book of Isaiah. So in, in chapter 1, it says, come, let us reason together. And that phrase, let us reason together, is let us debate the case. Let us debate the case. Uh, so it's, it's God speaking, and he's, he's talking like a lawyer. Um, in, in chapter 41, present your case, bring forward your evidence. He's talking like a lawyer. And then right in our chapter, 43 today, he says, meet me in court, let's argue our case together. So throughout the Bible, you see legalese, legal concepts, legal terms, legal illustrations. And right in the book of Isaiah, we have God talking like a lawyer. Now, uh, with that um, kind of uh, preface, let's take a look at our passage for today. And that is Isaiah 43, 9 through 13. And by the way, I recommend this section of Isaiah, starting at chapter 40, is just an amazing section of Scripture. So even though we're only going to look at five verses today, I urge you to go back and read the whole chapter and read the surrounding chapters because they're great, great pieces of Scripture. Um, But this is our passage for today, so let's just read it. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it?" Now. Uh, virtually every commentator I looked at, and even my study notes in my in my Bible, all refer to this as a court scene, a court scene. Okay, um, God is is speaking here. He's speaking to the people of Israel, His people, His chosen people, and He's t- telling them that there's a there's a court case going on. Now. I don't know if you, probably not everybody here has been in a courtroom uh, or been in a trial or knows what goes on inside those hallowed halls, uh, but it's kind of like a wedding. You know when you go to a wedding, they, te- they ask you, are you on the bride's side or the groom's side? There's two sides. <laughs> so they'll put you on one side or the other, and they do that in court cases too. Uh, in a court case, in a criminal case, it's the prosecution on one side, the defense on the other side. In a civil case, it's the plaintiff on one side and the defense on the other side. And so you'll go in, and the parties will be lined up on either side, and the witnesses associated with that party will be on that party's side. So you're on one side or the other, and that's, that's what this is like. This is a court case. And if you can imagine the setting, on the one side, you have... God, Jehovah, the true God of the Bible, the Creator, okay, and His witnesses. And on the other side, the way He's set this up is we have the false gods, right, other gods, false gods, and He's telling them, bring your witnesses, okay? This is a court case. Who's the real God? Who's the the real actor in this world? Who brings things about? Who tells the future and then brings it to pass? So he says, okay, false gods, here's your shot. Bring your witnesses. You guys are on one side, and me on my side, the true God of the universe, I've got my people, and they're my witnesses. So you've got two sides, God and his witnesses, false gods and their witnesses. That's the scene here. That's the scene. Now, um, What we're going to do with this is there are some really cool, I think, nuggets uh, from this passage. We're going to bring them out. And then uh, about halfway through, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to put my lawyer hat on and talk about witnesses and evidence from the standpoint of somebody who has lived in that world for 43 years. Um, What can I tell you about witnesses? Um, So that's, that's the... That's the roadmap here, but let's first look at the, the passage and drill down on a couple things. Um, the, the, real, uh, the heart of the passage is really this notion of witnesses. So you see it twice, twice in our, our little five-verse passage. Uh, verse 10 says, you are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen. And then verse 12, just two verses later, says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord that I am God. So, Twice in a very short time frame, he's saying the same thing. When you see that in the Bible, of course, you know that's emphasis. He's emphasizing something. And then if that weren't enough, just go one chapter over, and you'll see it again. You are my witnesses. So that's, that's really the guts, the core, the heart of this passage. You, my people, my followers, are my witnesses in a what I call a cosmic court case. <laughs> it's a spiritual court battle that's going on to prove who's the real God, who's the God who actually works in the world, okay? So the, the core of it is you are my witnesses. Now, um, if, you, if you just stand back and look at the kind of the big picture of that, that's kind of an awesome role for us, don't you think? For people to be witnesses for God the true God of the universe, it's really an amazing concept. It's an important thing, an important role, and that's why he emphasizes it here. Now, um, the first point I want to make about this passage and what our takeaway for it is, look at the phraseology. He he doesn't say, you should be my witnesses. I want you to be my witnesses. I, I hope you will Get yourself into this game. He says, You are my witnesses. And um, the phraseology suggests that it's not optional. Uh, It's it's not even commanded, it's just true. All right? And, And so you can see that in the language, but there's a couple of other things that show that to be true as well. So, for example, Um, you know, God talks about uh, First of all, one of the things he talks about in the broader passage here Is that he created them He created the, the universe And he created Israel And he created individual people and formed them in the womb That's part of the broader passage here So God's a, a creator And if you look throughout the Bible you'll, you'll see so many examples And these are just a few of things in creation that give a witness to God, that testify about God, okay? So, for example, uh, the moon. What a great passage. Uh, Psalm 89, the moon is called God's faithful witness in the sky. And what what a great analogy for us because, as we all know, the moon does not create its own light. It simply reflects light, and that's us. We, God is the light, it's reflected off us. So the moon is a, great, is a faithful witness in the sky, just like all creation, animals, the heavens, uh, stones and rocks even, are witnesses. And if you think about it, if you think about it, if something, if, if God creates something, if you create something, that thing that you've created could be a, a, a work of art, it could be a poem, it could be a, a book, if you're an author, uh, a painting, whatever. If you, if you create something, that thing says something about you. Okay? So everything that God created says something about him. Um, and that's why we see passages like this all throughout the Bible. Now, um, we <laughs> are part of God's creation. He created us. Um, So are we like the moon? Are we like the stones and rocks? Are we like the wild animals? Do we give testimony simply by being, by existing? Answer is yes. And uh, this is a great passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 2.10 follows the great um, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, which is a passage that most people have memorized. But verse 10 is is a great passage as well. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And the word for workmanship is poema, which is the root word of poets or poem. Uh, we're, we're like a poem created by God or a work of art. We're his workmanship. We display his attributes. And that's true whether you like it or not. <laughs> whether you opt in or not. <laughs> you carry around a reflection of God. Okay. Um, now, uh, so let me just give you a, a, a good um, summary here. There's another, uh, there's another aspect to this, to the point, that this is not an option for us. Okay? So he says, you are my witnesses, this is verse 10, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Ser- servanthood is a relationship. So, we are in a relationship with God. And again, whether we like, we, we opted in by becoming his people, his followers. We are in a relationship with him. And one of the consequences of that relationship is that we are, we are his servants. And a witness is part of our servanthood. Okay? In order to serve him, we are, are we have to be witnesses. Got that? So, again, we chose to to follow Jesus, to follow God. And in that decision to follow him is built in both servanthood and being a witness. Okay, Um, And then, uh, kind of to to summarize here, um, key point from this passage, being a witness is not an option. It's not something you do. It's something you are. And uh, I'll use a, i will use aii got a baseball analogy. So um, <laughs> baseball fans, Mariners, I think they're doing pretty well, right? <laughs> um, so uh, Pastor Britt and I were talking about how, how can we put in some good worship songs that go with my, with my message. And uh, there's a great song. It's not a worship song. It's called Center field by John Fogarty from the 1980s. And the, the phrase over and over again is, Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And so, this being a witness, I, I want to tell you that's not what's going on. It's not a question of, Put me in, coach. You're in. <laughs> You're already there. You're already standing in center field. Put your mid on. Are you following that analogy? I used to, I coached my son's baseball team, and I occasionally had to tell my outfielders, put your mitt on. (laughs) All right? So, our theme song is not put me in, coach. We're already in. Let's put our mitts on. All right. Um, Okay, so being a witness is not an option, it's a truth about you, it's part of your design. There's another nugget or two from the passage that I want to get before I start talking like a lawyer. And here's um, verse 10, it says, you're, you're my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. And I underline those words, know, believe, and understand. Those are the duties of a witness. That's what we're called to do. Know, believe, and understand. How how does that translate into real life for us? How do we know and believe and understand that that I am He? I'm the God described throughout the Old Testament who created, redeemed, delivered, and acted over and over and over again, set up kingdoms and knocked them down. And that's really kind of the historical context of the book of Isaiah. The kingdom of Israel is going down. The Babylonians are going to defeat them. But there's going to be a redemption later. So um, this is is the, the God who acts. This is the God who's active in our world. And our job as witnesses is to know, believe, and understand what God is doing with me okay all right Um, what has God done Uh, God has revealed and saved and proclaimed I not some foreign God among you you are my witnesses that I am God so these are the things these are the duties of a witness right from the passage okay now um, I think it's time for me to switch over oh no uh, one, one other thing I, I need to, to establish is that while we're talking about the book of Isaiah, is a historical; it had a historical context. And so when God says, you are my witnesses, he's talking to the people of Israel. But the question is, does this kind of cosmic court case continue on today? Uh, do we still have a, a battle, a court battle Cosmic spiritual between God on the one hand and false gods on the other hand. Are we still arguing that? Are we still fighting it out? Of course we are. We have different false gods today. Back then they had Baal and Mardok and Dagon and all those weird gods who didn't actually do anything. Um, today we have you know false religions, false philosophies. We put our trust, I mean, I, I say collectively, we are society. Puts trust in things that are false. So the false gods exist today, and people follow them. And there's a constant, even today, battle between the real God on the one hand and false gods on the other hand. And do we have any witnesses today? Do we have any witnesses who can come in and say, No, God's real. No, God's God's active in our world. God has done things, and I've seen them. Do we have any witnesses like that? Of course, you and me. So the cosmic court case that's described in the book of Isaiah is continuing on today. All right, now, uh, let me talk about being a lawyer. This is my, (laughs) I say, this is my wheelhouse. This is my forte, talking about evidence and witnesses. I've been living and breathing this for 43 years, and uh, I've had some really interesting witnesses <laughs> over the years. I had, uh, I had one witness who was an astronaut who walked on the moon. Um, I had another uh, witness who was a, uh, an FBI agent who infiltrated the mob, and uh, they made a movie about him starring Johnny Depp and Al Pacino and some other guys. Uh, so that was a wit- another witness I had, very interesting. I've had brain surgeons. I've had test pilots. I've had CEOs of major corporations. And I've had dozens and dozens of just ordinary people. You know who makes the best witnesses? The ordinary people. Um, The astronaut was pretty good, but he was, yeah. (laughs) Um, So here's a couple things I've learned uh, over the years about witnesses. Uh, just from being a lawyer, right? So there's two kinds of witnesses, and uh, this is relevant to your being a witness out in the world today. Um, We have two kinds of witnesses. One one is called percipient. That's a a lawyer talk word, right? That's legalese, a percipient witness. And what that means is that's somebody who uh, has seen something, heard something. It could be an eyewitness, somebody talking about what happened to them, it's a fact witness. This person testifies about facts, seen, heard, observed. Okay, Uh, Percipient witness. And then the other kind of witness is an expert witness, somebody who's been qualified by education and training, could be a a doctor, a scientist, um, could be an accountant, Uh, somebody that has some specialized training makes them an expert in a certain field and that person didn't observe the facts of the case, but applied his or her learning and, and rendered some opinions about the case. Okay? So you have fact witness or percipient witness on the one hand. You have expert witness giving opinions on the other hand. By the way, which kind of witness do you think is most effective? The... The experts can do a pretty good job, but everybody kind of knows that they're hired guns, right? They have an opinion, and they were paid something to, to render that opinion. And just f- fact, true, hard, cold facts, are more persuasive to people than opinions. So I've had some wonderful expert witnesses. Um, and I've also had some bad ones. Uh, <laughs> but in general, As a general rule, the ordinary fact witnesses, the percipient witnesses, are the most persuasive to a jury, okay? So keep that in mind. Now, um, how does this apply to our rule as witnesses for the God of the universe? Well, I think one thing that happens to us when we talk about being a witness out in the world, you know, you witness by your life, by your actions, and by your words. And a lot of people think, I can't do the words part because I don't, I'm not smart enough. <laughs> I'm not an expert. Um, I don't know theology. I don't, I, what if I get a question that I, I don't know the answer to? So they feel like, I can't, I can't take that into the world. I can't talk about my faith because what if I get... A question that makes me look bad. And, and I think some people are kind of applying the expert requirements here. They're saying, I, I'm not an expert, therefore I'm going to keep quiet. Well, not everybody is called to be an expert. I'll just tell you, in the realm of Christian experts, there's very few. <laughs> um, and you don't, you're not called to be that. I mean, maybe some of you are. But most of us are not. But all of us, 100% of us, are called to be percipient witnesses. Percipient witnesses. What can you say as a percipient witness? I saw this, this happened to me, this is why I believe. And you you don't have to memorize the for spiritual laws or some formula for leading people to Christ, you just say how you came to Christ, right? This is is how I came to Christ. This is why I believe, right? Every believer can do that. (laughs) And that's what we're called to be, percipient witnesses, not experts. Maybe some, maybe some will be experts, but everyone is a percipient witness. So if you're following me, I have five points. This is number two. <laughs> you don't have to be an expert. You are a percipient witness. All right, next. Um, what makes a good witness? So as I said, you know, look, you're in center field. Put your mid on. Um, it's not an option. You're there already, right? The only question is, are you going to be a good witness or not? You are a witness, so I just I kind of made a list of you know this is just lawyers a lawyer's list. What are the things that make a good witness? All right? Propensity for truth telling. There's another lawyer word. Who knows what propensity means? Propensity means a habit, a, tr- a track record. It means that. If somebody tells the truth nine times and you know they've told the truth on all nine of those things, then the 10th time they say something, it's very likely that that person, you can trust that person to be telling the truth. They have a pattern, a habit, a propensity for telling the truth. And that's the the number one thing because the jurors who are watching and making the, the decision in the case, they're watching to see does this Witness strike me as somebody who has a propensity for truth-telling, right? So if you catch somebody in a lie, it undercuts them. It undercuts everything, all right? So that's propensity for truth-telling. The second one is sincerity. I'm not going to cover all these in detail. This is just a a list I made. Humility and respect, uh, things that help make you a more believable witness. Not arrogance that doesn 't come across well. Foundation sticking to what you know, not speculating, not wandering, just saying, "This is what I know. this is what happened to me. this is why I believe and call, that 's called foundation, another another legal term, sticking to what you know, responsiveness, articulateness, and then the final one is preparation now um, I said, I just put this list together. This is a lawyer list. I could be teaching law students right now and saying, this is what you want. This is what you look for. This is what you aim for in your, your witnesses. Um, but it turns out, aiming low, that all of these things are reflected in the Bible. Um, So this is, by the way, about six sermons in and of themselves. (laughs) Uh, Propensity for truth-telling. Luke 16.10 says, uh, somebody who's honest in something small is likely to be honest in something big. Somebody who is not honest in something small is likely to be not honest in something big. It's propensity. Luke doesn't use that word because he was a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I say propensity. (laughs) Um, And so rather than give uh, six mini sermons right here, let me just drill down on the last one there, preparation. Um, It's absolutely essential. I mean, this is one of the things I teach young lawyers uh, who who aspire to be trial lawyers. You have to spend time with your witness, okay? For your sake... And for the witnesses' sake, and I'm not talking about scripting and rehearsing and things like that. I'm talking about being prepared to testify about what you know thoroughly, straightforwardly, and honestly. Being prepared to testify about what you know, and and to um, just just to f- be comfortable in the process of doing it. Okay. Kind of, you get that? I mean, we—I had a witness one time, he was a, an aerodynamics expert. And he'd never been in a courtroom before, he'd never answered questions under oath, he was just not comfortable with any of that. He was kind of a nerd. Um, and I, t- what, I took him over to the courtroom and just sat him in the witness box and started firing some questions at him. And he was super uncomfortable at first, but this is, this is what we do as lawyers is we practice, we rehearse, we get our witnesses ready. So preparation is key in the legal world. Now, it turns out, it turns out that preparation is also key in the Bible. So this is Second Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect." This is an is a amazingly great verse. And of course, I'd love to, to preach on just this. Uh, but the language of this verse comes out of a legal context. Uh, prepared to give an answer is something they would say in a courtroom in Ancient Rome, okay, ancient Greece, prepared to give an answer. And what Peter's talking about here is you're going to be asked. You're a witness on God's side in a cosmic court case. You're going to be asked about the hope that you have. Why do you believe? How did you get saved? And you need to be prepared you need to think about it in advance and prepare to be a witness. Okay. Um, now, I jotted down uh, on a slide here a couple of things that you can kind of prepare. <laughs> if I put, put you in the witness stand to practice, all right, just like the aerodynamics expert, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> these are the kinds of things we would kind of walk through Okay. What, what has happened? What, what is the, the percipient witness part of you tell, telling you that you can say as a witness? God saved you. He changed you. Did God transform your life? That's evidence. Okay. He answered prayer. Do you pray? Do you get answers? Yes, yes, and yes. Is that evidence? Yes. Can you testify about it? Yes. (laughs) It's actually pretty simple. Keep track. God answers prayer. You can testify about that. He does things in your midst. You can see it. You can observe it. He got you through trouble. He saved other people in your midst. You prayed for a family member. That person got saved. God did it. Um, Opened doors, moved mountains, Things that happened that you can observe. You don't have to get into theology. It happened. You saw it. That's a percipient witness. Okay? Um, what you believe and why. Uh, I want to give a couple of examples of kind of um, how, to, how to prepare, how to be a good witness. Um, <clears throat> Probably the first thing you want to do is just to be aware. Have your eyes open. That's what a percipient witness is, somebody who sees with their eyes, hears with their ears, notices things, is aware of things. God at work in your midst. That's what you want to be aware of. Okay? There's, a, there's a great song. I put this in the discussion notes. There's a current contemporary Christian song by Josh Baldwin. You know, all know how to get songs now or ask your nephew, (laughs) or your grandson, (laughs) Uh, how do you get a song? My grandson, I have a grandson who says, Alexa, play Evidence by Josh Baldwin, okay? And it plays. So go get this song, Evidence by Josh Baldwin, and it starts with the following line, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all right? This is step one in preparing to be a witness. Be aware. See it. Notice it. Process it. God's at work here. God's at work here. God's at work here. It's all over your life. And I guarantee you, once you look for it, you will see it. That makes you a percipient witness, Okay. Um, Here's an example of somebody, you know, Benjamin Franklin Kind of a mixed bag spiritually, right? But at the end of his life, I think he had some true uh, faith. And so, you know, 1787, he was pretty old guy by then, and they were they had the Constitutional Convention in uh, Philadelphia, and he gave this speech to George Washington, who was the president of the convention, not of the U.S. yet. Um, and he said, "We need to start every session." of this convention with prayer. And the reason is, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. So he's got his antenna up. He sees it. God is at work in our country. God is at work in, our, in the formation of our, of our nation. He saw it. And he's saying, "I see it all over the place. That's why we need to pray." Uh, here's another good example from sports world. <laughs> I couldn't find a mariner or a um, seahawk, a seahawk to use for this, but um, Kurt Warner, you know, he's g- a great um, story because he started as a really un- unsung he was not undrafted in the NFL. Um, kind of worked his way into the lineup and then became Super Bowl MVP and then NFL MVP. So he was put in the Hall of Fame. And at one point in his career, he was stocking groceries in the, in the local grocery store uh, before he became this. So when he retired, he, he went up to the, to the podium, put down his Bible, put his hand on it, and said, if there was one thing I've learned from reading this thing, it's that a bunch of peop- a bunch of stories about average people where God came in and did something extraordinary uh, with them. To me, that's exactly what he did with my life. And even though we're not Super Bowl MVPs here, <laughs> um, this is true of all of us. God has taken ordinary people, ordinary lives, and he has done extraordinary things in every one of our lives. And we, if we notice it, if we notice it, We are percipient witnesses. So get your antenna up and start noticing things. Um, So that's my third of five points. The evidence is all around us. Evidence of what? Evidence of God at work in our lives. Evidence of God's reality. God changing me, changing you, changing other people, and I see it. I'm a percipient witness. Um, there's one other aspect of being prepared um, that I want to talk about, and that is, uh, well, let me see. No, back. One other aspect of being prepared is um, when, you, when you look at verses like um, Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8, everybody knows that, right? Jesus, as he's departing, after the resurrection, he says to the disciples, you, are, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts of the world. And what he, what he says is that you, you will have power. You'll have the power of the Holy Spirit behind your being witnesses. And that's true of us, too. So it's like a secret weapon for Christians. You know, an average person can be a good witness in a lot of different ways, just applying secular principles. Uh, As we saw, a lot of those secular principles line up with what the Bible says. But the additional thing that a Christian has is the Holy Spirit indwelling. And the Holy Spirit empowers witnessing. It comes right out of Acts 1.8. So uh, that's part, in my view, that's part of preparation, preparation to witness. Okay, I'm going to be aware of all the evidence around me. I may practice it. I may... Tell my testimony to somebody friendly before I take it into the hostile world. Uh, So you may practice. Write it down. Keep a journal. God answered this prayer. God answered that prayer. Uh, do, Do whatever works for you to prepare to be a witness. And then pray about it, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and go. You're a percipient witness. Okay? Uh, you can be a more effective witness by being prepared. All right, uh, the last thing I want to talk about, I debated whether to even tell you this story. Uh, and I'm gonna tell it kind of abbreviated and a little bit vague because it's a kind of a gruesome story. It comes out of my represent, representing clients in human trafficking cases. Um, this is a story about somebody named Alicia. That is her real name. Uh, Her story is public. It's well known. And she wants her story to get out there. Um, Alicia, her story is that she was traumatized as a child, traumatized, and being intentionally vague about the the actual source of the trauma. Uh, She was traumatized repeatedly uh, over a number of years as a child. She had a tough, tough life, Um, and she grew up. And uh, we decided, uh, when I met her, that we would bring a civil lawsuit against the, the main perpetrator. There were multiple. And in the course of this lawsuit, we discovered, or right from the beginning, we discovered that we had no eyewitnesses. We had no DNA. We had nobody who caught it on their iPhone, which is something that people expect nowadays. No surveillance camera. It happened a while ago. And as many children who suffer this kind of trauma, what they do is they suppress the memories just to survive. Memories came flooding back when she became an adult. So as an adult, she came to me. We decided to file a civil lawsuit. And the other side said, you have no evidence. It's just her word. You have no witnesses. You have no DNA. You have no video. And we said, we do have something. This book is kind of a um, a memento, really. It was our guide. It's called, The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. And basically what it says is that people who suffer repeated trauma as a child will carry that into their adulthood, into their later life. They'll have marks, brain and body. And in Alicia's case, how we decided to address the case was, we put on her doctors, her mental health professionals, and people who knew her at various stages of her life to say, yeah. And she, she had things like flashbacks, um, panic attacks, severe depression, anxiety, suicidal uh, attempts, suicide attempts. Um, she had a whole host of things in her life culminating in a diagnosis of something called complex chronic PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's, that version of PTSD is something you can only get by serving multiple tours of duty in war or by this sort of childhood trauma. And so what we did, basically, was we put Alicia's entire life on the witness stand. And we said, her life corroborates her story, OK? The PTSD corroborates that she suffered this trauma. And uh, we, as kind of expected, the other side dismissed that. They, weren't, they didn't consider that to be ev- her life to be evidence. We were banking that the jury would understand, and they did, and they ruled her way. And so here there's two takeaways from this. I'm using this story to illustrate two things. Number one, we need to be aware of the evidence. Okay, that's number one. This book kind of guided us. You know what? This diagnosis of hers, that's actually evidence. It traces back to her childhood. Okay? So, the the book helped us to be aware of the evidence that could help us to prove Alicia's case. So, that's number one be aware of the evidence. And then, number two, from Alicia's case, the takeaway is a life, a life is evidence. Okay, you got that? And that's my point number five. Okay, uh, let me me close off here. Um, Look, uh, I guess if I were to summarize all these points, I would say the number one thing I want you to take away from this, if you don't remember anything else, is being a witness is not something you do. It's some, someone, something you are. You are a witness. L- like it or not, good or bad, you're a witness right now. You witness by your life, by your actions, by your words. And yes, you can get better at it. <laughs> and that's kind of my, my point. You can prepare. You can, you can be in tune with the evidence around you. You can notice it. You can keep track of it. Write it down if that works for you. Practice. Give your testimony to somebody. It's what, in the discussion notes, I, I say, Dis- Your testimony. Start there. Write it down. Give it to somebody friendly. That's practice. Okay? So we can get better at being witnesses, but the main thing I want you to understand is you're a witness whether you like it or not, whether you're good or bad. So let's do, let's commit ourselves. Let's commit ourselves to being the witnesses that we were designed to be. It's part of our, not just our role, it's part of our reason for being created. It's why we're on planet Earth, to be witnesses for the true God of the universe who's active around us. We're percipient witnesses of God at work in the world. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are honored to have this role and we pray that you will equip us for it. Help us to serve you faithfully to be your servants, to be your witnesses in the world. Help us to do it effectively. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.